Welcome to Living a Triggered Life Podcast with Keith and Roxanne, presented by The Triggered Project. Find out more information about The Triggered Project, go to www.triggered1.com. What's going on, Roxanne? How are you? I'm good, y'all. Coming off of a long, sad weekend. Hmm. Sad? What? Why? What, what had happened? What, well, why, you, why, why is it sad? I work in a hospital. And unbeknownst to me, when I said I wanted to work in a hospital, I never really thought through how much grief, death, and dying there is. So, is that... Yeah, that's... Is, that's am I making myself clear? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. It is. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I mean, I understand. I mean, can you talk a little bit, you know, you can talk a little bit more about that. About what I'm dealing with? Yes. Oh, okay. So, usually, when I'm in the hospital on the weekends... Um, we cover the whole hospital, so we get tasked to mm-hmm. um, see all kinds of families. And then specifically in the ICU units, our task as social workers mm-hmm. is to emotionally support the families when they have a loved one that's critically ill. So usually I cover maternity, which is cool right. because it's all about life. But every now and then, I end somebody else covers maternity so to give me a break, and I end up covering the rest of the hospital. And sometimes, if there's a lot of people who are critically ill, a lot of family members need support, emotional support, because they're grieving what happened to their loved one. Right. Somehow, it just kind of happened. It just you never know what is going to happen this weekend. And as we all know, in the summertime, there's a lot that goes on in our communities of violence. But this weekend, there were multiple people who were critically ill and their family members needed support. And sometimes one of the things that I do, which sort of gets me wrapped into being a part of being there for the family, is when we have someone who is critically ill and they're unable to communicate And sometimes we don't know who they are. Mm. And sometimes we do because they have identification on them, but we don't know. They're not somebody that we know that comes to this particular um, facility for care. So we don't know how to contact their loved ones. Mm -hmm. So this particular weekend, I ended up having to find, dig and be an investigator to find loved ones. And once you do that and you make a connection and you find loved ones, you're their person. You can't leave them. You know, you can't be like, oh, I'm done. You know, good luck. So I became their person for the weekend. And then there were other people that were there that were coming in. Because, you know, the weekends is when people can come and find, you know, visit their loved ones. So then I ended up getting wrapped up in multiple critically ill people. At least, I think it was like four, five families. Mm -hmm. So once you become the person, the initiator, they need that connection in order to sort of get their needs met and feel cared for. Mm -hmm. So I feel I'm pretty depleted today. Mm -hmm. You feel like you're on E in some ways? No, I don't. No, I don't feel like I'm on E because as I experience this more, I recognize how to sort of keep a safe distance emotionally. Mm-hmm. Right. No, which is incredibly important. Do you notice that you never ask me how I am doing? I only ask you how you're doing for the most part. The people that have been listening for a little while. <laughs> it's not on purpose. I'm just saying. I'm just, no, I'm just saying. No, it's terrible. And, and Thank you for telling me. That's so, terrible that I don't ask you how you're doing. But sometimes that's sometimes that's that's kind of sometimes that's how things work. You know what I mean? Like I can ask you a million questions yeah. about a lot of different things and you don't ask me like you don't ask me things. It's always like it's kind of weird to me you know I'm sometimes like, i do right no i shouldn't say you know all you're the time. making it sometimes. sound like never no but you're right you definitely ask more questions 
of me and our relationship in general mm-hmm. than I ask you. Yeah. But I think, I mean, and, and I ask questions because I think it's incredibly important to do that because people change, think situation changes, you evolve as a person. And I don't always take it for granted that you're going to think about a situation or someone or a topic one certain way. You know but what I mean? Like I that's feel just like, not- though, sometimes we've gotten in the place of when that we just automatically check in. And when something is really bothering us or something happened or we saw somebody that we haven't seen for a while reconnected with someone, mm-hmm. we sort of automatically tell each other. Yeah, we do automatically talk. And, and stuff just naturally that's just you know we're kind of gossip with each other in that way which is really nice but yeah I just feel like sometimes you just don't you just don't ask me stuff you just, I don't think that's true I think you miss the moments when I do it oh, okay. I am not as regular as you are I will definitely admit that I'm not as regular as you are I do tend to get very caught up in my head Mm-hmm. And I'm a thinker and I'm a problem solver and I'm a doer. And I find that I'm constantly doing that in my head. I'm constantly having internal conversation like all the time. And I wonder if it has something to do with how we're different as trauma survivors. Mm-hmm. I mean, it may have something to do with it, but, I, you know, I mean, can, can I get up in there a little bit? <laughs> I'm just saying in that process, like, <laughs> you know, can, can, I, can, can I get a little... But you're, acting, little, but you're little, talking about it like... I never ask, and that is so far from the truth. I yeah, do but, ask. I mean, but it's a class, it's but it's an example. As we, much know, as we've you, been, we've been we've been doing the podcast for a little bit well, now. Well, the podcast is different. No, but still, the podcast is different. But Let still, me tell you why. You still don't because ask me. You still don't ask me how I'm doing. I'm not disagreeing with you, but it is different because I find myself like. To me, this is revealing of oneself no in a way that I'm not accustomed to. Mm-hmm. And well, you don't think that you're accustomed to. This is who you are. Like if people sat and you know people see us and talk to us and whatever, you are no different. You are as brilliant as you are. You know, opinionated. But those at are intimate times. moments. And this is not an intimate moment. These are never intimate moments. This is like being on stage. Yeah, no, not at all. I don't no, think no, so. No, no, I'm saying, no, I know you don't think so. No. Because you actually, you have a, a whole career of unstaged. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, but this, right, and you may feel like that, but you're being completely 100% vulnerable at, vulnerable in, in a way that where, you know, it is kind of, I guess you're thinking about it in that in terms of you being involved, but there's no, like, character or nothing. Like, this is who you are. This I is know, you. but I leave here sometimes after we've had conversation. I leave here wondering to myself if I revealed too much. And if I'm actually okay with what I revealed Mm -hmm. and because it's a very different process for me, Mm -hmm. I actually sometimes am like, oh, next time I'm just going to be more closed off. I'm not going to reveal as much about myself because I'm feeling this way, this Mm -hmm. or that way. So this is like I'm very self-aware in this podcast. Mm hmm. Of how vulnerable I am. And although I am comfortable with vulnerability, mm-hmm. I'm a people person and I connect to people and I'm not connecting to our audience. I'm connecting to you and we're having conversations and I'm revealing myself mm-hmm. and it feels uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I get caught up in my head and don't even recognize that I'm not asking you how you're doing. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I'm laughing because I'm uncomfortable even just with this conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's getting you out of your head, pretty much. I think that's become a safe space for you is just to be in your head and... Oh my God, are you kidding? That was like like my, that's a lifeline being in my head. Yeah, but I mean, I think like, you know, I think you're probably more in your head than you probably have ever been before. You know what I mean? Well, I was social, my trauma socialized this behavior. You know that, right? Yes. You're making a face, so. Yeah, but I feel like you're more, I feel like you're making choices more to be more in your head than you have, than you've been before. Or maybe because you're doing a different side of the work that you're doing. Maybe it, you know, that it's dictated you for, to be a little more in your head. But I feel like you're more in your head than you've ever been before. Yeah, I said it. (laughs) You did say it. Yeah. And like I said, I feel like it's a choice. I don't feel like it's something that just happens. I feel like it's a, it's a choice. It's something that had that uh, has happened, and and that's something that you just you just continue. You know what I mean? Because if I tell you about it, we talk about it, and whatever, then you you know you're completely out and aware, completely. You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. Yeah, no way. I understand what you're saying. I think that it's been it's been a coping mechanism yeah. for a long time. Well, I think would well, be honest with you. I think ever since you went to school to get your second master's MSW um, from Sydney. 4.0 that I feel like you've been more you've been more in your head and it's been you know kind of a harder transition in terms of coming out of school which because it opens you up in such a different way for you to kind of leave that what helped you get through that and kind of leave that a little bit and uh, navigate a little differently through the, the daily battle well I will respectfully disagree I don't think it has anything to do with school or my experience at school okay i mean you know that's all good there's no problems you know one way or another whether you agree or disagree you know what i mean it's just just uh I, what, you know what i see. do you want to know what i think what i see uh, well i hear what you see but do you want to know what i think i'm never gonna say no <laughs> you can't this is part of what we do <laughs> but ask you what you know yeah but i thought yeah well I thought we were talking about something different today, but that's okay. We can go this route. No, I'm, no, no. I'm we're, good with. I'm good with. No, with just, a left turn instead of a right turn. No, no, no. I mean, we're we're talking about. You know, I asked you how you were, and so we're we're having this discussion and, and things like that. You know, we can segue into into. We don't we're have talking, to. I'm just you know. noting. Okay. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> Noted. So wait a minute. You put. You just blew up my spot. And now you're acting. Now you're like, oh, it's noted. Blew up your, I didn't blow up your spot. You did blow up my spot. How did I blow up your spot? You just told everybody that I never asked you how you're doing, which is not the whole truth, but I get, I understand where you're coming from. No, but I I didn't blow up your spot. You don't think the people haven't noticed? The people that have listened to the, listen. I don't know. I don't know if they noticed or not. I'm not noticing. No, of course not. Because you're in your head. (laughs) That's why. All right. You know so what I mean? Like you consider that consider that blowing up my spot. No, no, that's not blowing up your spot. All like, right, stating the obvious. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you name it whatever you want to name it. I feel I feel I'm on the hot seat right now. That's no, how I, feel. I don't think I don't think you're on the hot seat at all. I mean, we're just saying what it is. You know what I mean? It's not like it's necessarily like I'm not like having like full judgment about it or anything like that. I'm just saying that like, doesn't mean anybody else is not having full judgment. Well, about I mean, it. I mean, really, like you're really worrying about it now. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> like. You, I'm just forget. saying. Like, I'm just. In, I'm engaged in the conversation. That's all I'm doing. Like, who cares about judgment and whatever? We, if we cared about that, we wouldn't be doing this. You know what I'm saying? Black no, Twitter is probably going to be going crazy. I still care about judgment. No. I absolutely do. Now, does it completely distract my whole being? No, I care about judgment. Yeah, I don't. I'm not. Yeah, I don't. I'm not worried about that. 
Well, let's just clarify something. It's not about school. It's not about the transition to school. I graduated in 2015. Yo, it's almost four years. It's not that. It is the constant. And I think people will understand me when I explain it this way. At least I hope. Maybe you will too. It's more about imposter syndrome. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I've been talking a lot about lately. Mm-hmm. And imposter syndrome is that feeling of not belonging, being caught up in your head, not sure if you're good enough, if you're doing good work. That has plagued me my entire life because I grew up with such a highly critical parent that I still haven't sort of figured that part out about myself. So when I'm doing this work that I'm doing, I'm in territory. I don't know how to help. This is my other me talking. I don't know how to help people who just got bad news about the loved one. I don't know how to do that. I know how to be present. I know how to work with in the moment, but I don't truly believe I know how to do that. I just know how to be human in the moment and be as authentic as I can be. But I often walk away from the work that I do, even the students that I see in therapy, wondering, am I really helping you? Can I really help you? Do I really have anything to offer? Did I offer something? Did I make that session about you, about me instead of you? Was I respectful? Like, I walk away with a lot of questions, and it's just a process. And sometimes that's where I'm at in my head. Am I really good enough? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's something that survivors, you know, that we that we definitely go through. I definitely, you know, I definitely go through that. You know what I mean? You know, like I was saying before, one of our podcasts and stuff, and I think it's important for us just in, in general to try to ground ourselves before we're going into situations. You know what I mean? I go through my process is one that's been changing and, and things like that, but you know, understanding what my purpose is, understanding, you know, who am I serving, so to speak? And how do I know? What are the indicators to know that I'm doing a good job on stage or am I doing a good job mentoring other survivors or just having a good conversation, you know, with another brother who I see in the street and we start talking about manhood or whatever? How do I know? You know what I mean? And I think being present in the moment is more than most people are able to do. And I think that's what makes you good at what you do because you are present. You know what I mean? And more of us, that's one of the harder things to have to do, I think, even as survivors and whatever, is to just be present. And just for folks who are dealing with anxiety and, and just in general, the hardest thing to do is to be present, right? But I know when I can look in somebody's eye and look in somebody's face and whatever, that will tell me, okay, you you know, all right, they're taking what I'm saying and, and that, okay, I did all right. You know what I mean? Like that, I, like I can have a conversation with someone, someone, I'm looking at someone in their eye and being present and I can tell by their energy that whatever I've said has been helpful and I'm like, okay, like I got to be okay with that. You know what I mean? I have to go when I put out my energy and whatever, I put it out there and it's going to be, it's going to, it's kind of going to be what it is in a lot of ways. But that's what you're talking about is you just being a human being in the world. And I think that what I'm talking about is being a human being in a system. No, but I understand what the system is. The system is of whether whether you are trying to help people within your job and everything else. But, I mean, what are your constituents, right? You said what? What are your constituents? Who are the, pe- who are the people that, how do you know whether or not you're doing a great job or, or whatever? Like, how yeah. do you know? How do you know? But it's Right, because if you're questioning I, yourself, I think it's a how different, do you know? How do I know? How do you know? I have moments that I hold on to when I know. I mean, you have more indicators of telling you 
the positivity and that, yes, you're doing everything that you need to do, even when you tell me a story about what happens during your day and things that people that the people say to you and how they act, your body language and everything else. I mean, that tells you everything you need to know, you know, whether or not you can actually hold on to that. Right. And, and sometimes that's difficult for all of us to be able to hold on that. But you have a lot of indicators. People give you a lot of indicators about how they feel about what you're doing and how you're doing it. And sometimes you're just not going to know either. Sometimes you're just not going to know. No, I know. I know I'm not going to know. But, um, you know, I don't, I like, I'm, uh, I don't really know what to say. I hear what you're saying. I think that I've spent a lot of time learning how to be a therapist and a social worker. And in the same token that I get, there's a lot of indicators that I'm making, I'm having some sort of positive impact on people uh, because I'm a very individual kind of person. Mm -hmm. I haven't sort of morphed into this being you know, marching and rallies and advocacy and all that. I haven't quite sort of morphed into that fully, but I have also had a lot of indicate negative indicators. And when you are accustomed to paying attention to the negative indicators your entire life and it and it's part of your formative years, it's a task to not stay there. Right. It, no, there's definitely a and I think it takes but I think it takes practice. You know what I mean? It takes practice for us to... The tapes are always going to play, right? The tapes are always going to I'm not even play. talking about the tapes. The tapes is a whole nother... Yeah. A whole different floor than what I'm talking about. But yeah. It's just, you know what I mean? As a black man walking down the streets and all the indicators that happen where people feel like they need to clutch their bag or need to be aware of me and, and stuff like that, even though there's someone else who's not of color who's standing behind them with a knife, right, <laughs> about to stab them. They're still going to look at me, you know what I'm saying? And I'm in a suit and tie carrying a coach bag. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like in terms of those things, those strong indicators, you know, that we deal with on a daily basis. Yeah, but because you're a black man is a little bit more obvious and me being a light skinned female, it's a little bit more covert. Yeah, but what I'm saying is about the negative, talking about the negative, the negative, the negative energy or the negative messages, right? In informative years and things like that. And so I was making, trying to make a you know, kind of analogy or a, not necessarily a comparison, but understanding understanding exactly what you're talking about in terms of the negativity and how it's hard to be able to see some of the positive stuff because, you know, you've been fed all this all this negativity for so long. And so I think it's because there is so much positive that's going on around. There's so much positive that happens within your work with your colleagues that talk about you and the students and stuff like that. There's just so much stuff there. And I think it takes practice to try to see those things, but also understanding that it's not about a system, right? We're trying to think about in your context of the work that you do in a bigger context context, that makes it really difficult. You're about the one-on-one, -on -one, you're, you're about the environment that you're working in and making those connections. That's how you do your work. That's how you make a difference. But that doesn't cut it. Cut it for who? That doesn't cut it for you? In general, it doesn't cut it because I can't resolve a lot of the issues that I'm talking about with folks. It doesn't cut it to just do the individual when the system just keeps banging people in the head. Right. Well, then, I mean, that's, I mean, the thing about... Because then what are we doing? It's a hamster wheel. You can do what you can do in terms of it, right? You understand what the situation is. It's the same thing when you're working for the state. That's a different beast altogether and you found your way to try to navigate it, right? Not without a lot of scars. Right. But, and wounds. But I'm just saying, if you're always thinking about that big level... You know, but that's part of social work, dude. Okay, that's part. I mean, that's it's a part. 
And if I don't think about it, it becomes a hamster wheel and you get closer to burnout when you feel like, man, I'm just talking to one student of color after another, after another, after another, and how the system that they're in and that we're both in just continues to pound us with the institutionalized structural racism and what the, how that plays a role on what our families have done to us and the messaging or from society. Like, it's not enough. And we learn that. That's part of our training. We learn that. Mm-hmm. There's a micro and there's a macro and there's a few other levels to it. You have to pay attention to all the levels. Yeah, I think it's important to pay. And I think you're absolutely right in terms of your training and, and, and stuff. I think that's well stated. But I think sometimes that we can start looking at hanging on the big picture so much that we're not seeing the difference that we're making at a smaller level. We can just get, yo, oh, we, we, can just we get just stuck. not going to agree, yo. Well, we just not going to agree. And that's okay. We don't, we're not here to agree all the time. No, not at all. No, we no. just not, I don't think we not don't agree all. on this But point. if we're always thinking about what the, but if we get caught up too much in the big picture, then, then how can we feel positive? That's what I'm saying. How can we feel because positive? Because you have to work at it in different ways, which is what I thought we were going to talk about today is how you work at that Mm -hmm. like you have to look at all these different levels because all these different levels is what's impacting why people go to therapy Mm -hmm. it cannot just be the individual Mm -hmm. because the individual is not just causing what's happening in their life right well think about what we're doing right now as we're talking as we're dealing with you know we're dealing with individual folks we're we're doing this podcast dealing with male survivors and, and and everything else that we're doing so we're doing some individual stuff and then we're taking it bigger right that's that's what we're doing but we're starting with the individual and I think that's important mm, again we're not gonna agree I don't I don't agree I don't think that's what we're doing okay I think when you start out with the individual story and then you create this awareness sort of campaign mm-hmm. and then you add communities of the mental health system community mm-hmm. to it and then you're adding community people who are out there hurting and now a podcast mm-hmm. that's not starting with the individual it's not like just that simple mm-hmm. this whole triggered project that we've been talking about is hitting every single level that I'm talking about and maybe I need to share what those levels are with you so that you can understand what I mean and that's how we get trained to do our work mm-hmm. we cannot do it Otherwise, you can't do this work otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but thank you so much, Roxanne. You've been listening to Living a Triggered Life. My name is Keith Masco. Roxanne Masco. And we're going to continue next time with the topic that we were going to get in today. And I'm glad that we talked about this because <laughs> to talk about what we talked about today, because this is like a precursor to <laughs> to that topic. What's that topic, Roxanne? We were going to talk a little bit about how we manage listening to stories of trauma all the time. Mm-hmm. That's what we're going to talk about. Well, that's what we're going to rock with next time. Thank you for listening to Living a Triggered Life Podcast with Keith. And Roxanne, presented by The Triggered Project. To find out more information about The Triggered Project, go to www.triggered1.com. And remember, you're no longer surviving, you're thriving, and you learn that.